Welcome to the Self Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming, and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs, and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. Welcome back to The Self-Made Theory. This week on The Self-Made Theory, we have Kelly Jamieson, co-founder of Edible Blooms, a pretty amazing online gift business with a team around Australia and in the UK. Kelly runs her business from both her office in Adelaide and from her farm, which she's done so for about 10 years, so you can imagine she was pretty prepared for COVID-19. But based on her business model, there are just some things that can't be done from home, and she talks through how they've overcome these. One of the interesting things we talk about is how Kelly's business is the opposite to many other businesses. Her workforce is predominantly female. Kelly shares with us a range of different experiences this brings, what diversity means in her workplace and the challenges she has faced. I want to thank Kelly for an engaging, open conversation. You are going to love this episode. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Kelly, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here today. We're here in your corporate headquarters, which is pretty fancy, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's, it's pretty new. so It's pretty pink. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very bright colour. You can't miss it. <laughs> it's not hard to drive down the road and go, uh-huh, that's where they live. Yeah, that's right. No, we love it, actually. We're very proud of our new space, so it's awesome. We might take some photos later if you're okay sure, with yeah, that. Sure, absolutely. To show yeah. our guests. Yep, absolutely. So let's start with the Edible Blooms elevator pitch. Great. Thanks, Ben. So Edible Blooms, we exist to create joy in the world and to make the world a more joyful place. And it's really about connecting people. So I guess I get to get out of bed every day and make people happy. So I love what I do. Talk to the listeners about the product that you, or the products really, that you use to bring joy to people. Great. Well, we, I guess we started with a very niche product. So Edible Blooms is its signature product, which is a bouquet you can eat. So We started in 2005 creating fresh fruit bouquets and we would cut fresh fruit, pineapple out in the shape of flowers. We'd dip beautiful fresh strawberries in Belgian chocolate and create them by hand every day into a beautiful bouquet shape. And really we were setting up our business to be an alternative to fresh flower delivery and something that could be shared and enjoyed. And we love the stories that we get back from people who um, an edible bloom arrives in the office and everyone crowds around and they will share it together. And it's a real team experience. And likewise at home, it's a family get together, enjoy the beautiful gift that's been delivered. And, and that in itself creates a memory that people keep. So edible bloom started with a fresh fruit product range. Um, so why did it start? Uh, good question. So I was in my late 20s and I always wanted to run my own business. So I had that itch from growing up, which is interesting because I grew up on a farm. So my father was a farmer and my mother was a school teacher. So I knew nothing of business. And when I really think about it, I was really taken in the eighties with um, the Michael J. Fox secret of my success movie and all those wonderful things. Like I love eighties movies. They still get me excited. So what about Michael J. Fox family ties? Yeah. (laughs) I love Michael J. Fox growing up. And so I just really, I wanted to see more of the world and um, I wanted to, I guess, explore beyond the country town that I'd grown up in. And I started 
accidentally in a career after school, I got sponsored to study my degree. So I never went to university as a typical finish year 12, go to university. I was sponsored by an employer from I was 17 and I was offered a job and when my uni results came out, I was offered to have a sponsored, which meant that I had to work full-time and study part-time. So by my late 20s, I actually had 10 years of work experience under my belt, which is pretty unique for someone at that age. But back then, um, you weren't an entrepreneur, you were a business owner. There was no such thing as being a cool entrepreneur like it is now. Um, I really just wanted to call the shots and I wanted to create something that was I could proudly say I created. So in my late 20s, I came up with the idea of combining two of my favorite things, flowers and food. And literally after coming up with that concept, I'd looked at lots of other things. I'd looked at buying established businesses. I'd looked at buying a franchise. I even had a book idea back in my late twenties. And when I had this idea of creating bouquets you could eat, it just felt right. And I really still instinctively believe as an entrepreneur and a business owner that you have to follow your instincts and what feels right. And so I did that. And I was really very naive in the early days. I had no idea what risks I was putting on the table and I was using the money I'd saved for my first house to start the business. So I really had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And no, that's how Nothing's changed. Entrepreneurs do exactly <laughs> the same thing today. We still take risks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but it gave me a bit of confidence early on because things worked. So it was, and this is my first business and I'm still doing it over 15 years later. Wow. So your sister, Abby's involved as well? Yeah. So my sister, I was living in Brisbane when I started the business. So I'm an Adelaide, South Australian girl, um, but I was living in Brisbane. So the business started there and my sister had uh, was on doing a working holiday in London at the time. She was a teacher and she came home and London had put her off of teaching actually. <laughs> She'd had <laughs> some colourful experiences in the classroom over there. And so she wanted to join me in the business. So soon after I'd started, she opened the Adelaide office. And by the end of our first year, we had offices in Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne and Sydney. At the end of the first year. Yeah. And I was still consulting at the law firm that I was at for the first eight months. So I promise you, I've never worked as hard as I have. And was it just the two of you running the no, business? No, we had or? employees. So um, so we started in the August and uh, about two months later, our first full-time employee started, Sarah. She's now our business partner in New Zealand. So she's still with us, which is really fantastic. And so how did, how did you fund that? How did I find did her? Find, how did you fund hiring employees and setting up new offices? Well, I kind of had, I don't know, we just kind of did stuff, to be honest. It's one of those things that we just it was really like naivety. We just got on the plane and looked for an office and opened up. I remember when we employed Sarah, and it's really interesting because she was a florist and she was working at the flower markets in Brisbane. And someone had said, oh, you need to talk to Sarah. She'd be an amazing employee. It was my fruit supplier. They said, oh, she's really, really good. And so I met Sarah and I just loved her. Like we just connected straight away. But I remember I offered her the position, but her and her partner had just bought their first house and he was really concerned about Sarah going to work for someone who'd just started up and could they continue to pay the mortgage. So literally my pitch, to, I had to go home to their house and talk to her partner about the business and what we, <laughs> I had to convince him that she could take the job with me. I have never had to do that since, but it was like, I kind of get it now because we were this, you know, young startup. They didn't know it, you know, he didn't know us. She was all for it. She just loved it. And so it's really funny when you look back and you think of the things, the hoops you have to go through in those early days, even convincing landlords. I remember the first time because we couldn't operate from home. So a lot of businesses start from garages, but because we're a food business, we had to have food safe premises from the beginning. So I spent a lot of time reading this inch thick manual from the Brisbane City Council about food safety and all the things I had to do. But finding premises that were food safe 
it wasn't that easy actually because um, there's a lot of red tape to go through and it was expensive and I couldn't afford food safe premises in the CBD where my customers were. So I found a premise that was near my supplier, so out near the fruit markets in Brisbane on a main road, had good visibility and I had a landlord who happened to have his own catering business so he actually helped me. So he just loved the idea um, when I showed him pictures of what I was going to be yeah. doing. I remember turning up in a, my smartest suit. I had a nice car at the time. It was I, I didn't tell him, but it was about to get traded in for a van. Um, <laughs> and and he just he took a punt on us. And that was that great sense of faith of having a landlord say, I back your idea, I back you, because that's what they're doing when they're taking you on. So, totally, yeah, and hopefully he felt like he backed a winner in the end, but he was wonderful and very, very supportive of us as we started out. So I did, and I was in a new city. I didn't know a lot of people in Brisbane, but I loved Brisbane. I still do. And I really found the business community up there really welcoming, incredibly encouraging. It's a lot like Adelaide. People help each other, which is awesome. So today you're not just in four cities, you're, you've got international yeah, we do have a couple more now. So we've got Perth. So Perth, we opened um, actually quite a few years later. We took a while to get to Perth. And then New Zealand, we're in Auckland, New Zealand and London in the UK as well. So so that's been a great journey. And my sister actually moved to the UK when we started up that business two years ago and she's just moved back prior to COVID, thankfully. And yeah, so, and, and look, that hasn't been easy either. So opening international markets is so much harder than you think and it has been really challenging So why was that? Why was it harder? I think the the thing that we found, because we're an online business, so whilst we have these production outlets in each capital city, we are very much an e-commerce business in the way that we operate and our sales channels and our path to market. So when we got to the UK, we just assumed we could implement all the strategies that we've got here. But what we discovered when we got to that market was it was actually a much more mature digital market. It was more expensive to acquire new customers to tell people about this great idea that they should get on board with. And so that burnt a lot more cash in the early days and money. You know, we you only have so much money when you're a, your own business, you know. We're still bootstrapped to this day. We haven't had an external investment. So it's all been the business reinvesting in itself over these 15 years. So I think perhaps if we had have taken on investor, we could have grown a lot faster and maybe made mistakes earlier quickly. Um, so, but we're definitely getting there and we're really seeing a lot of return customers over there and um, we're continually growing, which is great. So. Um, but we, you know, we did make a few mistakes when we entered that market. It, you know, it's impossible not to, I think. So what were the mistakes? So one of the things that we did is we tried a rebrand strategy um, because one of the things we've been wanting to do as a brand is really, whilst we have our signature products, it's Edible Booms has become so much more than that for our customers. And it's been our customers asking us, would you do a gift hamper for my corporate clients? Will you plants are really popular. So we've been doing plants for quite some time as well. And so we really wanted to re, I guess, shift our brand from being a niche product to being a gifting company. And so in the UK, we thought we'd test out a new moniker, like a new name, which was Gift Rebellion, which was about doing gifting differently. And honestly, it totally failed. We didn't do a very good job of it. We burnt a lot of cash. And it was really interesting. Last July, when I was over there, my sister had her very special birthday and I was over there with her. We made the decision to rebrand to Edible Blooms in the UK and literally the the week after we'd rebranded, our, our sales doubled. I think people got what we do. And, and I think also the interesting thing is I think when you're entering a new market and it's a big market, it's better to be niche. It's better to be unique and special and then add those other products. And so that was a really big learning for us. And uh, yeah, so we've been flying a lot faster ever since. 
So, uh, so edible blooms is is one of those things. I think you can't get too caught up with branding agencies saying things will be a great idea. Sometimes branding is so important. It is incredibly it is so important. important. And you're right. In a big market, the ability to stand out because you are uniquely different mm. is actually a really great way yep. of people finding out who you are. Yeah. And so we've rebranded it. So we're now Edible Blooms, your world of gifts. So it's, a, and that, that encompasses our global footprint that's growing, the fact that it's gifting. And, and I guess it means that we can help our customers with multiple occasions through the year, which is pretty exciting. And we're seeing some really um, incredible results at the moment. So. so you mentioned earlier about not taking on any external investment. Was that a deliberate strategy? It was. It was interesting. When Edible Bloom started back in 2005, we had our first franchise request six weeks after I'd opened the doors. Six weeks? Six weeks <laughs> from Tasmania. I was in Brisbane and the request came from Tasmania. So, and honestly, that first year we were flooded with franchise inquiries. It was incredible. And I'm really appreciative. I, um, because I came, I'd been working in professional services just before I started the business. I had access to some pretty clever people and I remember meeting with the Anson Young team in Brisbane, which, you know, a little startup, you don't usually get the year of those guys and they were fantastic. And they said, look, if you don't need to franchise to grow, we wouldn't recommend it. They said it's, it, it creates a lot of structure. It creates a lot of potential legal issues for you that can bury you and stop you from growing. And they said for agile growth, if you can self-fund your growth through a more strategic growth structure, which is what we did. So we had one production outlet on the city fringe of each CBD so we could get to our customers quickly. We tried to find smart locations that weren't overly expensive and we did things as cost effective as we could. Uh, And it meant that we could reach as many customers ourselves versus having to have that cumbersome framework of a franchise yep. network. Particularly so, when you're a digital business, yes. which, which blows the lines about where the customer and the revenue actually comes from based on effort. Totally does. Absolutely. And and also from the word go, we had a full, fully transactional e-commerce site from the first day Edible Blooms opened because we weren't able to be by our customers. We couldn't afford that expensive high street retail spot. So we needed a website to reach customers and we could just see it back in 2005 People were confidently buying online. I look at our first website and cringe. It was the <laughs> ugliest thing you've ever seen. Um, the photos were taken in my apartment with really dodgy lighting and I just think people could see it was a real product, you know, like it, there was no touch-ups or anything like that. It was pretty basic and but people bought them and I think that when people saw the product when it arrives, they went, wow, and then they'd go back onto the website and order and so it kind of created, it was a very big word of mouth following for us initially, which was great. So have you ever thought about doing retail and competing with the you know, retail florist or other gift Not, I don't. I don't think that's the path we'll go down, to be honest. I think that particularly what we've seen in COVID is that people are moving away from traditional retail. It's a really interesting time in the world and I think changes that were going to happen have just been accelerated through this really unique circumstance we find ourselves in. And so I don't think that we will go down that path. There's there's lots of ways you can do that that are innovative. You can do the pop-up stores, you can do all sorts of different things, but you know, we're a convenience purchase for our customers. We're we're there when they want us. And the easiest way for them to do that is on their phone or their laptop. So Mm. yeah. So what have you had to change in your business during COVID? So as a food business, we had pretty good 
clean, like our, our cleanliness standards were pretty good. The first things that we did were close our retail. So we do have our doors open in each city for people to pick up, but we closed the doors to protect our team. So really the first... So, so the retail storefront effectively to where your manufacturing or your yeah, assembly right. facilities are. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So we have a pickup option and, and to be honest, it's mostly Adelaide that people love picking up and we're right near Ashford Hospital. So that's pretty convenient. So but we just had to really look at protecting our team members, the health and safety of the people that are part of our team. So we closed those straight away. We sourced a lot of sanitizer. That was one of the big things we found because we already sourced hairnets and, you know, all these sorts of things. But suddenly you just couldn't buy all these things. It was amazing. So whenever we could, we were just buying everything in bulk very quickly. And we had, we managed to get thermometers for the touchless thermometer readings pretty quickly, which you attested this That's morning exactly when you walked what in, they did. Yep. Um, which was great. And so we put a few processes in place. We had to look at workspaces. Um, we had red tape in our office area so that everybody's workspaces were a meter and a half apart. One of the really interesting things, and it was a decision that our team made because at the start, there were a lot less of us. We had our customer service team um, outsourced at the time. We bought that in-house during COVID. That's been a big change that we've made. But initially, So what do you mean by outsourced? So we were actually testing out for the last 12 months our customer service in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of businesses so have. So phone-based customer service? Or... All phone-based, yep. um, live chat, all of those sorts of things on the website. And to be honest, I'm so happy I brought it back. It's been a really good change for us to bring it back. I think there's some things you can do over there, but I think that People want to feel like they're talking to somebody here. And I think that's even more apparent from COVID. I think people want to buy locally. They want to support local businesses. And that's been a big shift, which I'd love to talk about in due course, some of the things we did from our product range, which has been a really wonderful change. But the other thing that my office team said is that because our production team can only do their work in our premises, we can't let people make an edible bloom in their home. So because it's a food safe premise, so we didn't have the option to offer majority of our team members the opportunity to work from home. And my office team here said, well, if we're expecting them to come into work, we don't want a them and us mentality where we're at home. So we marked out on the desks and we made sure everyone had adequate, we moved desks around the office to give extra space. And at that time, there were a lot less of us in the office. We've actually employed a lot of people since the start of COVID. Um, and we That's all kept exciting. coming into work hmm. because- we actually had already read of case studies in other countries that had had COVID before us where there were online businesses and the warehouse staff were expected to stay at work and all of the office team were moved home for their safety and the warehouse team was saying, well, are we not important? And so it was really wonderful from a company culture perspective that it was my team that said, we want to be here because we're expecting everyone else to be here as well. So we did it safely and we did it the right way, but we've kept a very tight team culture. And I have to say my team has never worked better than it has during COVID. Wow, that's amazing, Which isn't is it? great. What a great yeah. story. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that we did during COVID, which I think is really interesting, is um, a very dear friend of mine has got a Barossa Valley cheese company, so beautiful cheeses. And like a lot of businesses that had a lot of their product being sold to in-person experiences, cellar door visits, et cetera, and the Barossa, as we all know, was really hard hit during COVID. So she rang me and said she'd obviously had a pretty severe hit to her business. And I went home that night and I was chatting to my husband and he said, why don't you do a cheese hamper? Why don't you do a Barossa Valley cheese hamper and support all the Barossa producers? So I literally picked up the phone. I said, right, Edible Blooms is going to do a Barossa Valley cheese hamper. And so she was in here the next day with all she bought. She was like the captain of the Barossa. (laughs) She bought in all these amazing, and you know, the Barossa makes the best, like, 
dried apricots, the best relishes, the best crackers, everything. So she bought in all these things and we put together literally within about three or four days, put together a whole range of Barossa Valley cheese hampers and they continue to sell now incredibly well. And it was really about making purpose-led decisions. So I think that's the other thing that's really highlighted to me through COVID is that doing things for the right reasons and supporting other people in business and particularly other local businesses, it resonates with your customers. If you love it, your customers are going to love it too. So with the working from home piece versus working in the office, did that make you think more about workplace flexibility for your team? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've always done that. So I've actually not worked in the office five days a week for probably 10 years. Really? Yeah. So I've, because I live on a farm, so I don't live in the city. So I live down at Port Elliot. My husband and I have lovely little property down there. Which is about an hour's drive. Yeah, it's an hour from the city. Yep. Um, Right by the sea. So you get lots of, and you know, to the major airport, it's an hour door to door if I have to get on a plane somewhere. So it's pretty good. So I've always tried to maintain a three days in the office, two days at home. And the reason I've done that for such a long time is because I've had a team spread out in lots of locations. I've never had the privilege of being able to be in the workplace with everyone in my team. We've, from the word go, we've been a very, um, and that's a challenge with culture and man, and we've done a lot of interesting things over the years to try and create a consistent culture. And we've done some things well and some things not so well, but I think on the whole, we've probably been a bit ahead of that time um, because we've we've had to work with these remote locations for a long time. And because I couldn't be with the whole team the whole time, I thought, well, I can work from home and I have successfully for a long time. And the honest truth is I get more work done the two days I spend working from home and I'm very diligent and I have a workspace and I have an organized day, but I get so much done. I get to work on the business versus, and then the days I'm in here, I'm really making myself available to the team where I'm working with them, collaborating, all of those sorts of things. Which is still work, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's still part of your job description as the CEO. It is a very important (laughs) part of my job description. But it's that thinking time and the planning time and really getting through the churning of the work that we all have. And particularly because we have so much email, so much correspondence to get through. If I didn't have those two days working from home, I just don't think I could keep up with the pace of getting my week done. I have two young children as well. So there's those things to balance. This morning before I've had this podcast, I've had book week. Um, So I've been (laughs) um, doing makeup on my daughter who's Wednesday from the Adams family this morning. So, you know, that working from home and having a bit of flexibility, and I think it's really important for all of our team here. So whilst my office team were here, they did also alternate and have one or two days a week at home, but they were we were all getting together in the office and keeping that presence here. So, and I think there's a lot more openness to people working remotely or a shared week where you have some time in the office to collaborate, some time at home. And I think people get the best of both worlds if they get that combination of time. One of my team members is talking about moving down to Port Elliot at the moment. I'm all, you know, encouraging him to do that. And and I think there's, I mean, to be honest, property down at Victor's booming. Everyone's a friend of mine who's a real estate agent down there. She had an open the other weekend and 35 parties went through the first open and she had six offers by the end of the open. Like it is, people are recognizing that they can have it all. They can have the lifestyle, they can have their career, they can have quality family time. And I think you can achieve that more easily if you're out of the city. So I think there's a real shift towards a new way of people choosing how they live, not letting life lead them Mm. on a journey. Not letting the career dictate how they live. Mm. Yeah. And so I think we're going to see some really exciting changes coming up and 
we've been really excited too, seeing the way companies are connecting with their team members. So our corporate sales have been particularly busy through COVID because we've had a lot of companies sending things out. So they can't be with their team all the time. So they're sending things out. A little care package out to their team members. Care packages with really awesome messages. It's really heartwarming actually. So it's, it's great. And I think people are just being smarter about the way they're doing everything. Are you a busy executive with not enough time to work on your business and fit in physical exercise into your day? As a business coach and mentor, many of the executives I work with understand that their most precious resource is time. On top of running their business and the demands of life in general, the challenge for many is fitting exercise into their busy lives. Harvard Business Review indicates your mental firepower as an executive is directly linked to your physical regimen. Exercise brings improved concentration, sharper memory, faster learning, prolonged mental stamina, enhanced creativity and lower stress. And that doesn't include all the physical health benefits as well. In response to this, we've launched Self-Made Cycling, our business and executive coaching services, conducted not in the boardroom but on the bike. It's a brilliant way to combine all the benefits of working on your business challenges while bringing you the physiological benefits of exercise. Years ago, a lot of business was conducted on the golf course. Today, it's time to handle your business on the handlebars. We cater for all levels of executives and cycling experience. Beginner, pro, entrepreneur, manager, CEO, weekly, fortnightly or monthly. We've got you covered. We've launched this service in January at the Tour Down Under in Adelaide, but can work with executives anywhere in the world using your smart trainer and platforms like Zwift. And don't forget to chat to your accountant. Did I hear someone say tax deduction? Visit our website, selfmadecycling.com.au or call 1300theory. Business and cycling, it doesn't get any better. When we caught up a couple of weeks ago, you talked about your workforce and how it's not the typical workforce. You have a very female-heavy percentage workforce. Yep. Can you talk about the unique challenges that that faces? Because I imagine a lot of companies are aware of male-dominated workforces and the challenges that brings into the workplace. Are there challenges that you've experienced by having a high percentage of females in the workplace? There is. um, At one point, we were 100% female at Edible Blooms, which is pretty unique. Even our accountant who works from home, she has for 12 years, is a female. And it's very different to a lot of other workplaces. And was that by design or is that just how it happened? Do you know, it wasn't. We've had men that have come in and out, but there was a certain point where we were growing really fast. And when we put job ads out, I guess our brand is very female skewed. Our, our buyers are females. And also the fact that we are a florist styled business, when we're recruiting skilled workers to our team, floristry is a great skill base to have. So if you think about the number, if you're looking at number of students that are enrolled in floristry courses, you would find most of them to be female. I have a sister, so both business owners were female. It just happened. It wasn't deliberate at all. It wasn't a strategy where we said, we've got to have only women in this business, but we were really successful as an all-female business, which was awesome. So there's some certain things and there's challenges with having a lot of females. Because I think that, I do think that diverse workplaces are better. I think that men change the tone of things. And likewise, when you've got a more male-skewed workforce, when you put some females in there, it changes the dynamics of that workforce. So exactly the same thing happens with us. And I actually remember a few years ago, I was speaking at an event in Melbourne, and I think there were about a thousand people in the audience. And someone said to me, they had a go at me at my lack of diversity. (laughs) 
And honestly, I recovered that by saying, you know, it's the best person for the job. It's the person that's got the right skill base. It's not their gender. It's not their ethnic diversity. It is honestly, if you're if you're a great leader, you will always choose the best person for the job. But having said that, I think as we've continued to grow, we really love it. Like we get so excited when we get a man apply for a position here. For example, in our Sydney office, um, uh, we've got Mark and he runs all the administration in that office. And he has been such a great addition to that team because it was very female heavy and having him and they love him. Like they all mother him and like love having him there. And he looks like, you know, it's a really I'll bet great, he loves it. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's a really lovely dynamic. And we definitely see the benefit of diversity. We don't aim to be so female skewed, but even today, I would, we've got a majority of female employees. That's exciting because I think we relate to our customer base who are mostly female buyers. So there's some advantages of having that skew. But the head of our marketing, Dean, he's male. And actually, when we interviewed him, we did ask him a few times, Dean, how do you feel about working with a lot of women? And he was, he's, and he's so, fit, he loves it and he's great and fits in very, very well with that. So it's more about, I think for someone like Dean joining our team or Mark, um, it's really about the values fit. If they fit with our company values and whether you're male, female, whatever your background, then that's great. And actually we've had a really, the other movement that's obviously happened during COVID is the Black Lives Matter movement. And that's been something that my team have really been behind and they've come to me and said, we need to do more. So we're working on our own company strategy and it's led by my team about what we can do around diversity and celebrating occasions through the year that are not just the typical Anglo occasions. So you'll see, and it's led by my team through this year, you'll see a lot of new occasions being celebrated by Edible Blooms. We've always done Chinese New Year, but we're really looking at all that eyed, like all of these amazing occasions that happen through the year and celebrating them because I think that's the real positive that's come out of Black Lives Matters. The movement is, I think people willingly want to celebrate all of those things that are important to different areas of our community. So, and so the more we really... talk, more that we talk about them in our typical demographic about yeah. other people's celebrations and other people's you know, challenges that they face, the more conscious we become of them yeah. and the more accepting we become of them. Absolutely. And look, who doesn't love to celebrate things? Like more Hell reasons yeah. to eat great food <laughs> and have some great drinks with your family and <laughs> celebrate life. And so, yeah, so it's really great. And, and also that's in our own internal communications, we've been celebrating out like really openly the cultures of the team that are represented within our own business. So we've got people of Egyptian descent and Spanish and like all these different countries. And so we've been profiling those people and talking about the culture and what it means to them in our own internal communication. So there's lots of little things that we can do as employers and companies to celebrate different cultures. And it's the little things that actually matter as well. So yeah. So that, that's been a bit of fun. And the other thing that we've, we've quite got behind as a company is Are You OK Day? And that's coming up soon too. So um, that's a really positive thing out of COVID that I think is going to be celebrated even more so this year because I think people are much more aware of the impact that, you know, I think people are just naturally carrying around higher stress levels, whether they recognise it or no, not. No, no. Hmm. They're at a higher tipping point. So our customer experience team here are very aware that when a customer, you know, gets cranky with them, it's probably because they've had a pretty tough day. And so I think we're more understanding of those things as well when something small goes mm. wrong that we're more accommodating to try and fix that for people because it is, it's a, it's a really hard time for everybody right now and particularly our Melbourne office is under a lot of pressure at the moment. It's pretty tough over there. I was talking to a customer the other day who was talking about when things were happening 
particularly in Victoria, but just mm. as it started, there was lots of little jokes about you know, Victoria and a you know, bit of few payouts happening. Yeah. Doesn't exist anymore. No. It's f- completely flipped the opposite way. They don't talk about that in that way. It's really about the conversations they're having mm. are about how do we help? Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. What support do you need? Yeah. No, no more payouts on the yeah. Victorians. Mm. I, I, I've never really understood the whole Victorian South Australian thing, actually. I think, you know, we're all different. <laughs> it happens in a lot of parts of the world. I mean, we think yeah. it's unique. It's actually not. Right? Yeah. And you go to other parts of the world and city rivalry and state rivalry yeah. exists in a lot of places. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh, it keeps life interesting. Everyone likes a good punt in Australia, don't they? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk about your co-parenting rules that you have or your co-parenting policy? Yeah, well, I'm pretty lucky. I've got an amazing husband. And I think co-parenting is really interesting because I don't think we really sat down and talked about it. And one of the things I recommend now for new mums in my team is to really, when you're pregnant, sit down and talk about what co-parenting means to both of you because I think we just sort of worked it out as we went. And I think that there's a really great opportunity for parents today to really plan it and think about it before it happens. The thing that I really did love in COVID was that we all stopped. And I loved that we weren't racing around taking kids to swimming lessons or basketball or dance or whatever else we were doing. And the kids loved it. And it just makes you realize you don't need Need to to rush around and do Mm. all these things. And I think some of us have all got, you know, you quickly go back into the old routines, but I think it's a really good opportunity right now to really think about what's important and children won't suffer if they don't have as many things on. So I think that there's an opportunity, a bit of a reset and how we balance those things. And we really loved as a family not having busy weekends. We loved just spending some time together and hanging out at home and going. we did lots of walking on the weekends. So that was really great. So I think there were some really good positives that came out of COVID and we, we don't book our weekends as much as we used to, which is great. One of the challenges that we have, um, we talked earlier about having a very female skewed workforce. And one of the challenges that we have is often in a family situation when a child's ill, the woman is looked at as the person, the traditional person to care for the sick child. For us as an an employer with a lot of females in our team, that's pretty expensive because we're covering all the sick days for not just the employee, but the children as well. And that's a big burden for us to take. Middle of winter, every kid's got a cold. Yep. Yep. It's pretty intense. And, you know, meanwhile, we need to serve our customers and make sure we're getting all of our orders out on time and the quality's right and all of those other things. So we have really open conversations with our team as well around what our expectations are. So when you have children in a modern society, if you're both choosing to work, then those parenting responsibilities are shared. And that's what my husband and I do. So we lead by example. So it means that when the children are unwell, that you take turns to have the care day with the children at home because you can't avoid it. It has to, you know, children have to be cared for. They can't be sent, especially now they cannot be sent to school with a runny nose, but we just have open conversations with our team that the expectation is, you know, you can have that time, but it's shared with your partner. So it's a little bit of a trust system in that we do rely on people doing the right thing, but we openly talk about that because that is the current workforce. Most parents both work in order to live the lifestyle that people want to lead. And so there's an equal responsibility there because it's just really not fair for employers like us <laughs> otherwise. And I think they're really great I think they're really great conversations to have because what that means as well is that the career progression for both parents continues, not just one parent after you've had children. And that is equally as important as it is fair to the employer. It's fair to the team member that they have the opportunity 
to, and you know, to be honest, everyone, no one wants to stay at home with a sick child anyway. So, you know, in some ways we're doing our team a favor by saying, Hey, you need to take turns with that little job at home. But I think that these are some of the conversations that I think in another few years, we will not even need to be had. So, and that's really exciting. I remember some amazing females in the world have said, you know, one day, you know, Maggie Thatcher, it won't be a big deal that I was the first female prime minister. I just happened to be a female that's leading the country. So they're the conversations that I would love to have shifted so that you don't have to have those chats. You don't have to be proud that you were the first female. You were just the best person for the job. Absolutely. So looking back on your time over the last 15 years, what surprised you the most about building your business? I think that it's actually been pretty good fun, actually. I think, you know, in that first few years, it was just a massive slog. The biggest surprise actually that we did have was when we, it was our third or fourth year in business, fourth year in business, actually. We'd been nominated previously for the Telstra Business Awards and I'd really held the Telstra Women's Awards on a bit of a pedestal because they were the women I'd looked up to and admired as a young person in business. And so we entered the Telstra Business Awards as a bit of a practice run and we thought we'd see how we go. And I remember when we turned up to the, we were just so excited to be a finalist. We were like, oh my God, this is so amazing. We're a finalist in the Telstra Business Awards. And um, we were in the small business category, like the uh, 20 or under employees at that point. And we turned up and the judges were like really excited for us. And we were like, great, because they were such great guys. We thought they were awesome. And we went in and we just could not believe it when they announced that we'd won our category. (laughs) We were like literally, literally on the way in because the night before they say to you, you know, be prepared, you know, you need to write a speech and we weren't even going to write one and we were literally in the car on the way in there, my husband, my sister and I, and we just jotted down a few notes of what we might say. And so we got up and we delivered that speech and we were just like in shock and we are like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And then we went back to our table and we drank all this champagne and we're having the best time. And then they um, were announcing the overall uh, business of the year for South Australia and see Cooper's Brewery had won it the year before, um, 2008. Iconic. Iconic. Forever. Huge. Been here forever. Great product. And we're sitting down the back and we had the table right down the back and we we're just slugging champagne, just so happy that we'd won this award. And my now husband said to me, I think you're going to win this. I said, well, I haven't got a speech. I haven't, I, I, no, we're not going to win it. There's no way. Next minute, Edible Bloom, South Australian Business of the Year. And I sat and I was, you know, in that like you're so excited, but you have this moment of dread because you're so unprepared for having to get up and the um, premier was there and all these amazing people. And I was just like a deer in headlights just going, <laughs> I just can't believe that we've just won this. Anyway, we were better prepared. We went to the nationals because then they fly you over to Sydney for the national awards. And we actually won the small business nationally for Australia that year, which wow, was congratulations. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing. And you know, that was the surprise. It was that first time, to be honest, we'd been so busy, incredibly busy with our heads down. We hadn't looked up to really look at what we'd achieved in the, those first few years of business. And whilst we were nowhere near perfect, we had a lot of things we still needed to work on the business we went, well, we must be doing something right. And that was after I got over the imposter syndrome that they must have given it to the wrong person. But it really did make us just sit back and reflect a little bit. And then we got our heads down again and kept going. So so do you do it differently now? Like, do you celebrate success and wins now differently compared to back then? Um, you know, I think we've had 
times where we've done that really well in our business. I think this year we've done it reasonably well again. We've been trying to create um, virtual events where we can get all of our teams around in every country and every state at virtual events. So we started the year with a 10-pin bowling night, like just simple stuff. Honestly, they're the best things to do with your team. And we try and think of things that we can do in every location. So so we had bowling night and that was really fun. And everyone just shared on our team Facebook page, you know, who was winning. And we had a box of prizes sent to every location. So everyone had the same stuff. And then COVID got in the way. So that kind of put a bit of a stop to those sorts of activities. But what we have just recently been able to do again is some more events. So we've just had a a wine and art night where you do painting classes and you drink wine. It was really fun. I saw some photos of that. Was that the Picasso style painting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was really fun actually. And everyone, I've done it a couple of times myself and I really enjoy it. And we've got quite a creative team. And look, even the non-creatives here, they were all, they all went home really chuffed at what they'd created. So it was really fun. So I do think those time, taking that time out to celebrate is really important. And that was a big thank you for us, the team, just for what they've achieved in the last little while. The challenge is that our Melbourne team can't do that at the moment, but they know that as soon as the next few weeks are up, they'll be doing the same thing. So they are an amazing team over there. So they're very understanding that they can't, they don't want to stop anyone else from having fun, but they'll get their chance to do the same as well. So talking about Michael J. Fox again, so if you could jump in your DeLorean and go back, (laughs) what would you do differently? Oh, I definitely wouldn't have entered the UK market as a different brand. That would be a big win. Um, I think, you know, I think actually one of the things that I might have evaluated differently because we had different investment partners that came along on our journey and I never never thought we needed it. But actually, I have seen at the times when we've been well-funded how fast we can move as a business. So, but I never... By well-funded, you mean well-funded through your cash flow generation yourself. Yep. Yep. And so, I do think that those times when you have got more cash to reinvest in the business, the business moves a lot faster. But I'm sort of really torn with that suggestion because I also think that I've seen other companies that have had too much cash and they've bent in the wrong way. So I think there's a really fine balance of cash in a business. You need enough, but if you have too much, I think you can also, you can see the big parties that are had and the, you know, the ping pong tables and the fancy offices and all of those things, you know, do you really need those things? So I think it's a bit of a fine line to have the right amount of cash. And you'd know that from your CFO background of businesses need the right amount of funding. And so the times that have been harder for us have been really tough because we are self-funded. So there's certainly been plenty of times where we've really had to juggle things and make things work and, you know, put our personal money in the business, all those sorts of things to make things, um, the wheels keep turning. And it's really comes down to a confidence level that you know that you're on the right path. So there's lots of lots of different things. And again, probably comes back to my very early comment in this interview is around trusting your instinct. So any time that I haven't done that, I think I've done the wrong thing. If I've done what someone else has said to do versus what I feel is right, that hasn't been the right thing to do. Hmm. It's a really great insight, trusting your instincts. Hmm. So what's next for Edible Blooms, other than ruling the world, of course? <laughs> well, I think the big thing for us is spreading as much joy as we can at the moment. I think in this time that's, you know, I see our role as a really important thing for the community and making people feel cared for, feel loved, and it's really simple. So... I think as we continue to roll out our world of gifts strategy um, for Australia, it's very exciting. The UK, I see huge potential there, which I'm really excited about. And really, you know, more world takeover is really on hold until COVID 
COVID finishes. And and I think, you know, we're in these challenging times, but I do think there's opportunity in every challenge. And sometimes it's not as obvious as it or as it doesn't come as easily. But I do think for a lot of businesses, there is still a lot of opportunity there at the moment. I couldn't agree more. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Oh, it's such you a great story. Me. Thank you, Ben. I've really enjoyed today's interview. Thanks so much. Cheers. Since meeting Kelly, I reckon I've had at least three occasions where I've needed to get a gift for someone, one locally and a couple interstate. So, of course, I just had to try out Edible Blooms and they didn't disappoint. And those who receive the gifts love them. If you want to find out more about Edible Blooms, head to our website, theselfmadetheory.com forward slash podcast, where we have our show notes, plus all the ways that you can engage with Edible Blooms. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering. 